You're watching Global Trade This Week with Pete Mento and Doug Draper. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to Global Trade This Week. And I'm sure you're wondering why there's a Yeti on with me. Why the abominable snowman, why the Sasquatch in his jaunty little scarf is sitting next to me instead of my usual ride or die, Doug Draper. Um, Doug is, what does he say usually, on assignment when I'm not he around? He's on assignment in Fresno, California. Oh, man, I've been to Fresno. You know what? I kind of like Fresno. People give Fresno crap. I've had a lot of fun there, Keenan. Uh, yeah, Doug is not with us, and so that means that Wonder Boy producer, Keenan, is going to be joining us today. Keenan, how are you, my friend? I'm doing well. You know, uh, being a natural Yeti, I would prefer to be up in the mountains snowboarding today, but, you know, there's a, a good reason to be here uh, in civilization, speaking with you yeah. and uh, all of our listeners here today. Yeah, just just out of curiosity, right? You're a guy who lives in uh, the greater mountain west, whatever the Christ you idiots like to joke about. <laughs> how, how, many, how many days do you think in the course of the ski season do you actually get out to a mountain ski? Uh, I try as much as I can. I have a full-time job, so it's, you know, not a full-time thing for me. Um, I believe my girlfriend did 50 days last year. I probably only hit 27, 32, somewhere in that region. So quite a lot. I am grateful. It's one of those with the economics. Uh, we get a pass mm -hmm. and then the more you go, the cheaper it gets. So that, that's, that that's how next, I sell it to that myself. That was my next question. So for, for that much outdoor activity, what does this pass cost you, buddy? Is that a lot of money? Uh, so they've gone up over the years, definitely. Um, but what is it? If you buy it early, it's significant. So I was buying mine in the spring. So I'd say roughly $500. But then if you split that up amongst quite a few mm -hmm. days, it's it's yeah. much cheaper than getting individual day rate pass passes for sure. So Keenan, maybe you want to look this up. When I was a young man and I moved to New Hampshire, um, my parents and I had a, a nice little house not far from where I live now. Like I, I could literally, I, I mean, it would take me, it would take me not even eight minutes to walk to my, my, my boyhood home here in Manchester. And from my boyhood home in Manchester, the, um, the learning slope, like the, the municipal ski slope for New Hampshire was another, not even 10 minute walk. So I had the, the 1980s ski tote, you know, you put your skis in it and your boots and your poles and you could carry your stuff. And I learned how to ski at a place called McIntyre, which is, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was a garbage dump, but I'm not, I'm not positive that they covered up. And That's where the elevation road. came from. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, we had, and New Hampshire's lots of mountains, right? So you'd think, but it had a rope toe and it had one, one uh, ski lift and there was a bunny slope where I legitimately learned to slope doing French fries, pizza, French fries, mm -hmm. pizza. Mm -hmm. um, and then there were, there were two, there were two ski slopes. One was a little more difficult than the other, but honestly, man, it wasn't that difficult at all. And um, I paid $50 for an all season pass. And because all my friends lived in the neighborhood, we would ski. I mean, pretty much every day. Um, and I do mean every day, like we would go Monday through Sunday and then we'd ski at night. And, um, and then on weekends, because my friend Sean Cole is more like my brother than my friend, his parents 
had a house up north, you know, we'd, we'd ski on the weekends in the nicer places, which compared to Colorado, I mean, we just ski on ice up here. But we skied a lot, man. Um, and I remember it was a big deal that I would pay like 20 bucks for a day pass at a relatively expensive. But now McIntyre has a tubing run. So one of those runs now, you go up there and you sit on an inner tube and you skid down your butt on an inner tube There's, and they've got a bar. Like it's, it's more of a, you know, winter wonderland for family friendly fun than when I was a boy, Keenan. So uh, I'm planning on going there once we had our first snow of the year here this week. Not a lot, not a lot dropped, buddy. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to doing some tubing. I have not gone skiing in a couple of years, but um, I think this year I'll probably end up going. I would encourage you to do so. It's a great reason to get outside, get some fresh, cold air on your face, exercise. Uh, up, we're baby. in the same boat. We just were supposed to get a bunch of snow here in the city of Denver. Did not. So disappointed there. But at least I think some landed in the mountains, which is helpful because that's where all the skiing is. $50 for a season pass sounds awesome. I know we've had inflation since then, but yeah. at the same time, I think independent of inflation, ski prices have just been going up continually year after year. So it's one of those things that anything you can do to to make it more cost effective or get up there as much as you can, uh, that's the way to do it. Yeah, Kenny, we're talking 1985, buddy. When um, for Christmas, I got my ski package, everything. So boots, poles, bindings, everything. It was $169. Wow. Yeah, wow. and uh, that was for my time. That was not cheap for um, mom and dad. Mento. That was um, they definitely they definitely scrimped and saved for that. And I'm sure that I was an ungrateful little jerk, um, but I was still happy to have have skis. Yeah, yeah. So it's got to be tough anyway. watching kids. Yeah, We're watching kids what? Watching kids like not make the most of a ski day. It's a powder day. You do all the expenses, the traveling to get up there. And then I remember when I was learning how to ski, like I didn't know what I was doing, you know, also not a big mountain and it's just ice and everything. But yeah. I mentioned this the other day on a call um, that, you know, kids were looking for snow days. When we would have snow days in New Hampshire, I'm sure Colorado's the same way. We would wait for it on WMUR and, and there was a Trinity High School, right? No, no, no school today. And you would call your buddies, you see, you know, who's, who's home, you pack up your crap, and you would drive farther north where the snow is even worse, and you would ski all day. Like, okay, so it's, it's the snow's too bad for me to drive into school, but it's not so bad that we can get in our real-wheel drive car, because, again, 80s. Yep. And I will admit, Keenan, we were probably a little drunk or a little high, either there or coming <laughs> back, and and ski all day. Like, okay, that's fine, but we could either get on a bus or drive ourselves to school. Um, that's just, it, looking back on it, it was just absurd that that was the case. Um, and now it seems like they never get snow days ever, like ever, 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 ever. I think, you know, out of four kids, I can probably count on both hands how many snow days they got over the course of their school. So I've seen that too. There's, there's less snow days these days than there used to be for sure. Yeah. Screw them. Yeah. Uh, there will be more talk about this stupid uh, scarf you're wearing, by the way. I don't okay. know what's going on here. Are you, are you, are you either a French model or a jihadi? Like, I don't know which one it is. Ooh, ooh. I can't um, actually, figure out. Uh, 
I'm going more Nepali Gurkha. Uh, got this in Nepal, so it's uh, like Pashmina, Kashmir. I don't really know Listen, my wools. Look at you but... just dropping. And when I was in Nepal, just dropping back when I was in Nepal. I picked this up when I was in Nepal. <laughs> <laughs> Is, That'll be a story for another time. But uh -huh. since we're uh, getting into the show, I'll uh, mm -hmm. kick us off here with the, the first topic I want us to discuss about. Saw this last night, some interesting news coming out of China about China doing their own version of a CHIPS Act, where mm -hmm. they are planning on spending one trillion plus yuan, renminbi, uh, equivalent of about 143 billion US dollars in order to subsidize and support their own domestic semiconductor manufacturing industry. So from what I've been reading, this is also kind of still in development. Um, nothing official, but it's just, you know, sources who are not authorized to say or kind of saying stuff. And it could be happening as early as Q1 this next year, 2023. And it could be very large. Obviously, it's a lot of money, but they're really working on incentivizing the building of the manufacturing capability. So up to 20% of any purchases on the equipment that makes semiconductors. So we'll see where this all goes. It's kind of fitting into the larger picture of trade tensions, political tensions, um, kind of in my mind related to things like spying and the Huawei situation. I know that executive that was in Canada facing extradition just had charges dropped. So they're kind of making friendly progress there. But at the same time, the US seems to be lobbying various allies and partners in Europe to stop buying Huawei and or other Chinese chips for fears yeah. of spying and or <clears throat> for fears of losing business to uh, China. And it also kind of reminds me of uh, the topic you brought up a while ago about the ARM arm where they had legally all of their IP just kind of jacked because of the 5149 joint venture situations and who holds the stamp and where that's all going. So ARM China is a totally separate company now, it seems, from the actual British multinational. Um, yeah, things are kind of heating up. So I don't know if you saw this news or if uh, you have any other insights on chip manufacturing and kind of the, the race to the future of economics, because everything has chips and more and more things will. And so it's a pretty big, important piece of the economy that people are battling over right now. Yeah, uh, it's, a, it's a big topic in that China has always striven, strove, always strived, 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 has always strived to have independence and have in their vertical supply chain. So the ability to not have a need to depend on anyone else. They, they identified it early on in the 90s as something they really wanted to focus on. So the, the plan was by 2025 for 18 specific industries to not have a need to depend on what they consider to be you know, an, an aggressive and aggravated actor in anything. Um, and that includes Taiwan, you know, who, who eventually, even if they go into a shooting war with Taiwan, they would have to deal with that. So it just makes sense if you look at their larger economic strategy that they would do something like this. Now, um, I, I wonder if this has so much to do with a fear, a rational fear of being concerned about how they they deal with trade tensions as it does to trying to serve a broader domestic market without having to depend on the rest of the world. I don't know. Um, I think it's one way to look at it. I think another is China understands that their 
broader domestic consumption is, is going to continue to explode, why not be able to control it? And I think also that they're very concerned about what's going to be continued tensions with the rest of the world over the alleged adoption of technology from other countries. And when you see a world where, you know, these Section 337 possible absolute sanctions could be put in place, when you begin to see more and more legal actions being taken against China for, again, the alleged, I have to keep saying that, uh, mm -hmm. alleged adoption of other people's technologies, it's just, it's smart strategy. Yeah. And um, as much as it makes Americans angry when I say this, China has generally outmaneuvered us uh, when it comes to legal wrangling, and this could be a place for the outmaneuver us again. Yeah, it's a great point you bring up. I hadn't considered as much. They are definitely going to become a pretty large consumer themselves domestically of cell phones and Internet of Things type technology. So there's going to be that demand there. And just like paranoid people in Washington don't want Huawei spying on them, they probably don't want foreign actors spying on them through that. So it's intelligent from that perspective. And you also brought up Taiwan, which you know recently had things with Nancy Pelosi and all that. I don't follow... Uh, kind of the geopolitical war stuff super closely, but I did see something about China flexing and flying some nuclear capable like planes um, really close or maybe so over the line in Taiwan. Yeah. So that's kind of heating up there too. Yeah. Well, um, I think we'll have more to talk about this as the days go by. This is, yep. this is not gonna, this is not gonna end um, just by tomorrow, but my, my first topic is, um, you know, the, what is what is the harbinger of of good news in global ocean shipping and maritime? Well, it's always bad news. That's what it is, buddy. It's um, you know there is no good meal in marine transportation without heartburn. The, the, uh, you, you can't. They, they, it's always binging. You know, binge and purge, binge and purge, boom and bust, boom and bust. And we have watched over the past three years, ocean carriers, despite their business practices make so much money. And if you look at the most of the press with regards to their business, what you'll usually see is um, people saying they're going to weather the storm. They have so much cash now, uh, nothing to worry about. There won't be mass layoffs. And I tend to disagree. And the reason for that is much of the money that they earned has been earmarked to things like buying new ships. Mm -hmm. It's been earmarked into acquisitions, mergers. It's been earmarked into buying, um, uh, buying infrastructure. It's it's been spent on buying back stock. It's been spent on um, huge bonuses. I don't know if they've learned the lessons of the past because now all the king's horses and all the king's men aren't going to be able to put Humpty Dumpty back again when there is no volume. So we're seeing already all of this volume going to the east coast. It's kept rates relatively steady. But the, the West Coast rates are deflated at best, positively in the toilet at worst. And once there's a West Coast decision and we have that issue taken care of, yeah, it's going to get a little better. But the rest of the world isn't getting any better anytime sooner. And there will be a double dip recession. What happened was a recession. We're going to have another one. And with that is going to be um, a correction, another correction to rates. Did these ocean carriers make enough of a move towards blank sailings? Do they do enough that they need to do take, taking uh, ships out of service? Are they going to scrap enough vessels in order for them to maintain the type of, of uh, profitability that's going to keep their shareholders happy? You know, I don't know if they have. And I think there's going to be some people losing their jobs. There's going to be some expectations by their boards. 
and by shareholders to do something about this. Because once people have gotten used to making a lot of money on these shares, they're going to expect that that gravy train keeps going. I think you're absolutely right. Um, you know, people who own those shares, they constantly have to make those decisions of where they're going to put their capital. And if uh, it's no longer as profitable, they might just move over to a different industry, different investment opportunity. And uh, you bring up, you know, there's been cycles of boom and bust and uh, high profits, low profits, but it seems to me that this has been a more dramatic one and a lot faster. So they did capture higher rates for a while, but then that didn't last all that long. And now all of a sudden they're going to be going in a different direction. And yeah, that money, like you mentioned, has been spent or earmarked elsewhere. There's probably going to be some turmoil. There are people who are wondering right now, uh, Ken, will there be a, a bankruptcy? And that just seems so counterintuitive. You know, okay. The last couple of years, the ocean carriers, they were telling us how we're going to spend our money to move cargo on their ships. And they were very defiant about it. Um, and I'm, you know, I make no excuses over the fact that I think ocean carriers need to make money because it's, it's safer for mariners, first of all. And then second of all, we need them to be healthy so that we have choices to make. The fewer carriers that are out there, you know, the less choices you're going to have. It's going gonna, it's gonna to increase the cost of everything. We want to have a good, healthy mix of carriers to go toward. Um, but you know, the idea that there are going to be fewer of them because of their own decisions that they're making about what to do with those profits, that's terrifying to me. It's terrifying. Yeah. But in any case, this is the part of the show that I normally take a shot at Keenan, but I've taken enough today. Uh, <laughs> it's halftime brought to you by our good friends at Cap Logistics who make this show happen. They, um, they allow us to take some of Keenan's valuable time every week to produce the show, and um, we're very thankful for it. If you'd like to learn more about Cap Logistics and the services they provide, please do check them out at caplogistics.com. Uh, and it is time for halftime. Now, I talked to Keenan a bit about my topic this week. And I've got strong feelings about this one. So it is the holiday season, and there are very specific, traditional, seasonal um, flavors that people are into. I myself am very much a chocolate and peppermint kind of guy, big fan year-round. Um, but there are people who this time of year go absolutely wacko over eggnog. And eggnog makes me wretch. So... Not only are people drinking the eggnog, but they put the eggnog flavor in everything. Ooh. So let me give you some examples of this quinoa. why it makes me so angry. Um, there is eggnog ice cream, which is wrong. There are numerous eggnog flavored coffee options that one can get, like eggnog cream with your cold brew coffee. Um, there is eggnog chocolate. So it's a chocolate with some kind of eggnoggy flavor inside of it. There are eggnog frostings that are going on cookies. Eggnog is everywhere. They might be the new pumpkin spice. And whoever did this needs to be waterboarded. Uh, it needs to end. <laughs> now, there are other fine things that should be drank. First of all, hot chocolate. Hot chocolate is, it, this is the time for the hot chocolate. Over the weekend, um, oldest daughter had her man friend come visit her. Um, I did not shoot him, bury him. So... Congratulations to me. Yeah, um, lucky. But they were they were drinking um, spiced rum, the Captain Morgan spiced rum in there. And I thought maybe liquor could save this. It didn't. Uh, but you know there are there are holiday drinks that have liquor in them. There are uh, different rumple mints with some hot cocoa. It's a, it's a winner. 
uh, no matter how you slice it. And I know you're going to talk about um, one as well that I'm a big fan of from the Germanic traditions. And I, I just think, honestly, man, gingerbread, fabulous drink, you know, uh, gingerbread schnapps that you can put in with all sorts of things. Keenan, I'm, I'm going to say it, man. The eggnog thing needs to stay in its lane. I'll agree with you. It shouldn't be applied as a flavor to other things. Like I like spiced pumpkin pie, but spiced pumpkin mm -hmm. should not be applied to every coffee creamer, et cetera, et cetera. That's just out of place. Um, I agree. There shouldn't be eggnog flavored this and that and everything, but actual eggnog is delicious, whether oh. just straight up or with alcohol, either way, it's delicious. Um, it's kind of in the name, but maybe not always known. Eggnog has raw eggs in it. I absolutely love the taste of raw eggs. Like it's a different thing, but it's kind of like doing something you're not supposed to. That's delicious. Like uh, eating raw cookie dough. Oh, delicious. Were you raised by wolves? <laughs> what, is, what is wrong with you, man? Raw, raw eggs are delicious. Raw that's... eggs. Oh yeah. Raw eggs rocky? are great. Yeah. You know what I'm saying when I say, what are you rocky? Do you know that scene? Uh, I'm assuming he drinks eggs as a part of his training montage. You have never seen Rocky, have you, Keenan? No, I have not. I All have right. I have seen um, Team America World Police, where they reference oh. Rocky, and yeah. everyone, every, every great film has a montage. Even Rocky yeah. has a montage. So yeah. that's about as close as I, I am on that. Uh, Rocky's an excellent film. Sylvester Stallone won an Oscar for the writing the script. And... It's an excellent story in believing in yourself because nobody wanted to make the film, and then they wanted to make the film, but they didn't want him to play Rocky. Uh, and he says he wasn't big at the time, him. right? Like he was kind of like just a nobody. no name. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was his first real big film. You wow. really ought to watch it from that perspective of this is a no one who wrote a film and had it done, and then it became a massive, I mean, massive hit. And it's uh, you know, it, it you can see it coming from a mile away, but. It's it's so obvious, everything about it. But yes, when Rocky, who's this nobody palooka, gets an opportunity for the fight of his life, he uh, part of his training regimen is he gets up in the morning and drinks a pile of raw eggs. And in the seventies, there were all these guys that were like, you know, whenever you get ready, you're drinking these raw eggs. And bruh. yeah, just the idea of that makes me want to hurl. Having chickens uh, in my backyard right now, mm -hmm. I can say fresh raw eggs are delicious. Uh, big fan. Going on to other drinks, I think we also agree on the hot chocolate in general. It can have a little rumple mints, but I think it's better just straight. Um, and then I think we also agree on this other traditional classic Christmas drink. Mold wine is yes. something you don't drink the rest of the year. I drink hot chocolate all the time. Um, but mold wine is a seasonal thing that I am looking forward to. Yes. Yeah. Um, being surrounded by people of German descent, Gluvein, Glug, you know, nor mm -hmm. all, all, all Norman, uh, nor Northern people, you know, Nordic people, they're very big into it. Uh, there's usually a pot of it, you know, when you go to their home, it's always warm. It is fabulous and it tastes excellent. It's usually not the best wine, but it tastes fantastic once you clean it up. And, um, you know, if you're walking around in a German Christmas market in Germany, it's what it reminds me of. So when I'm sitting on the couch, you know, watching reruns of Modern Family um, with my crappy, not real tree because I live in a friggin' apartment, it, it, it's the smell of it reminds me of Christmas, not the pine smell, not that. That is my Christmas smell is glue vine. And then um, it reminds me of a fabulous Christmas time I have my friend Richard who is in London, he works for Expeditors, and he took me to a Christmas market 
back in the 90s and I bought um, a bunch of Christmas ornaments and such, walking around drinking glue vine and um, it was just a fabulous, fabulous English Christmas. So yeah, Keenan, um, glue vine is positively wonderful, as is um, rum hot toddies, which oh, those um, are good. again, I've really only seen them on menus in either New England or over in England. I've, I've really seen too many other places. Great discussion. I'm looking forward to all the beverages we will be enjoying this uh, holiday season. Um, I'll have to try some some new ones I haven't had in a while and definitely the old classics for yes, sure. Sir. All right. So on to topic number two, my friend. Yeah. So topic number two, I wanted to bring up just even for my own self, as well as some of our customers have been asking um, about the recent U.S. rail strike and the strikeout, so to speak, where, um, you know, they didn't come to an agreement. They were going to strike and then using the power of Congress and collaboration left, right, Democrat, Republican, executive branch, everyone kind of teamed up saying we can't afford economically to have rail actually stop. Um, but then I didn't really hear a lot of news after the fact. So I was trying to dig in and just see kind of where we are, what's going on. Um, seems like a lot of people are unhappy. You know, we at Cap Logistics don't do a ton of intermodal rail specific. When we get involved with rail, it's for custom oversized, removing large factory equipment. But rail does a lot of what should be very consistent, what should be very cost effective type logistics. And that impacts us in Cap using trucks and airplanes and all the rest of the freight market, as well as just the rest of the economy, consumers using anything from coal or move like buying things of FedEx that gets put on a train and all this. And so um, I was trying to just read more. I don't think we have all the answers yet, but I'm just trying to understand. Uh, it didn't seem to me that the unions were asking for all that much of a pay raise. It was like 4% when officially we've been seeing an 8% inflation year over year and unofficially using shadow stats it's like 16 percent. so they're not even keeping up with inflation with their demands there and they were one of the big sticking points that people were kind of fighting over was was it like seven days of paid sick time which is something that you know we just experienced a pandemic and all the pandemic policies you wouldn't think you'd want to incentivize employees to come into work sick and then potentially get other people sick and then more people are out anyway but they're not paid and so they just keep coming in um yeah i don't know all the right answers i think there's definitely some broken parts of it there's definitely some parts that are important and will continue to stay important i mean it's been a part of this country making the whole west available to manufacturers on the east coast over by you and raw materials and now more manufactured goods here in Colorado and California and everywhere coming back. So yeah, uh, just trying to learn and figure out what's going on with that. Humans are going to be important, but even more so than trucks, it seems like uh, a lot of rail operations could be automated. So if they were asking for too much money, then you might see a push towards increased automation, but it didn't even seem like they were asking for all that much. There's not that many rail employees and conductors uh, so, yeah, what are your kind of thoughts now a week or two after the whole standoff situation with Congress? Yeah, I've got a um, a shocking to most people take on, on unions. Uh, I was a member of a union, so we can start with that. Right. And having been uh, ocean-going professional, I have a lot of um, sympathy for 
these people who are working on trains. And here, here's the reason why. So we'll, we'll start with the sick leave issue. So most people don't realize this, but the, the people who are working on these trains, they're away from home for 30 days at a clip. And when you're away from home for 30 days at a clip and you're sick and you need a couple of days to get your crap together, they're unpaid days off. Mm -hmm. They're unpaid days off and they've got to find someone to work in relief of you or the people that are on the train have to do double shifts and those double shifts are paid overtime. And by not giving you a day off, it's saying to that person, we're not going to pay you. Do you want to get paid? Because we don't want to have to pay someone else overtime. And it's putting someone whose health is in jeopardy in a position where they say to themselves, either I don't get paid or I get paid and I need that money. So whether we like it or not, also people that are in that position, that can be a strike against them when it comes time for a promotion, when it comes time to be putting on a better, a better line. Uh, and most Americans don't realize that. The people that are working these long, arduous hours and they're working them in eight-hour shifts, they're taking 16 hours off, they're coming back on a shift. You're asking those people now who are in charge of millions of pounds of cargo to do it in a you know degenerated state. Is that really how you want to? It's it's ridiculous, right? And then to say, we're just asking for some paid sick time. I don't know another person in another industry where that would be considered a problem. Right. right? The second half of it is, I don't know a five-year period where another industry has probably done so well because of their financial chokehold on the industry yeah. as the rail has. And I'm a I mean, anyone who has watched this show know that we are so pro-rail. We could not be more pro-rail if we tried. But you've got to take care of the people who make the rail work. And it's a, it's a very strenuous, a tenuous relationship, of course. Mm -hmm. And as far as paying these folks goes, there will come a point where paying them is going to hit a tipping point where automation is going to make it easier than paying these people. Um, and we forget as consumers just how much of our day-to-day -day comfort comes from the rail. We don't have a lot of pipelines, so guess what moves on the rail, people? Oil, petroleum, kerosene, chemicals. And you know, we all worry about these pipelines. Well, guess what? There's a moving pipeline that goes across all of North America all the time, and you have absolutely no idea. Livestock, alive and dead, that's moving you know, across these pipelines. It's, it's just positively incredible. So I am upset that a pro, a pro, and I don't want to get too deep into politics on this one. I'm upset that it got to the point where we had to use politics to deal with it, and I'm shocked that such a pro labor, you know, president would would do what he did. I'm happy we avoided a strike, yes. but I'm not happy about what we had to do to get there. Agreed. Yeah, um, especially for Biden having done a lot of pro union things in his politics and career up till this point. And it seemed kind of unanimous. I think everyone wanted to avoid a strike and all that, but could we not have given them some sick days or figured something out as opposed to legislating and blocking? Cause yeah, it seems like they didn't get the best deal and the story probably isn't over yet. You're going to have people leaving the industry. Uh, why, why would you want to work under those conditions? They, they get paid well, but not as well as you would imagine. And mm -hmm. it's not easy work. And I, I defy anyone who thinks it's easy to be away from home for a month at a time to go ahead and try it. I have so much respect for my classmates that still go to sea. I have no idea how you do it. No idea. 
while people don't always think of it, you were right. It does impact all of our industries and all of our yeah. daily lives. So it's important. Yeah. We Good wouldn't have the pandemic without it. Too. Uh, That's true. This, uh, all global, the economy would have fallen apart. Right. So my, my last um, topic has to do with air freight. So a terrible harbinger of economic, um, you know, of a backsliding of us seeing things happening faster than we imagine going negative is a simple fact that the air freight industry is facing headwinds a lot faster than any of us imagined that they would. So you're beginning to see availability of capacity and you're beginning to see um, downward pressure on rates. And you're seeing that a lot faster than anyone imagined that they would be. Even on the, uh, the Asia to the U.S. market, Europe to the U.S. market, U.S. to Europe, vice versa, I mean, everywhere. And you're seeing available capacity during a wartime, which also not something you would imagine that you would see. Uh, this is not supposed to be happening, particularly not now around Christmas time, when you would imagine in last minute, people are trying to get things to market, get them back and forth, and then international packages are going back and forth for people in the mail. That's not good. Um, people had hoped, at least the Lunar New Year, that this would at least have strong demand, and we start to see a fall effect then. Keenan, when air freight is beginning to show this level of softening, that is a terrible harbinger for the coming economic um, stability globally. So I think it could be a lot worse in 2023 than any of us realized. Agreed. Well, some people and some companies might be grateful for the now available capacity, especially yeah. after the last couple of years when capacity wasn't there, similar to the ocean and prices went up. It's good to see prices down. But to your last point there, what is that saying about the rest of the economy and spending and everything going on? Uh, I think some people have already felt like we've been in a recession, but we're probably looking at something much worse in the next year, two years. And uh, yeah, it's a bad sign. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I think it's going to do it for us. But if you want to take us out, because I yeah. brought this in, Keenan. Absolutely. Um, on that, it's a... Uh... <laughs> It's tough being uh, economically minded where it's a dismal science, but, you know, it's important for us to to understand and do our best with these things because uh, figuring out and problem solving this is how uh, things get a little less dismal. And so on that bright, cheery note here today, uh, thank everyone. I want to thank everyone here for listening to Global Trade this week. Um, you can find more of the information in the show notes. Uh, if you're not already, please like, subscribe um, and smash that notification bell everyone always says on youtube but in addition to youtube we're also on podcasts so if you have not already check us out on itunes or um, your favorite android app check us out um, thanks so much for tuning in and we'll see you guys next week with doug back and we'll be getting into some predictions for the next year Ooh. thanks everybody take care thanks again see ya thanks